joining us glad to have you back once again and so this week i had planned to have a guest but when you're running your own business when you have client work and when you have kids sometimes the time gets away from you and you don't have a show ready but i thought you know what i'm not going to just flake out i can put together something i have a bunch of thoughts that i haven't been able to get down on paper because honest to god blogging i miss it I love it. I love writing. I linked to something on my Facebook page today about a guy who was ripping into, oh God, what was it? Minimalism? He was talking about the new iPhone and the stupid wireless like earbuds that you have to wear that are Bluetooth connected, which by the way, can I just say first of all, that you're taking something that's functional and great like earphones and turning it into just a battery sucking pile of horse shit, right? I mean... Apple has been the leader for a very long time by doing things and, and getting right to the point of functionality. This, I think they've gone too far. I think it's ridiculous. And I think having a dongle that you got to plug in is a, a, a bad choice. Anyway, the point was, this guy was talking about how minimalism is killing us creati <laughs> creatively. Did you hear me pause there? I was going to put an edit in there. But when I do these like solo apps, I don't edit them. Normally, if I'm recording an intro or an outro, then I just stop talking and I do the take again. That's like pretty much what the editing on this show entails. It's just me editing myself in the intro or outro. Maybe that's why they're my least favorite part. Maybe that's why they suck. I don't know. But getting back to this point about minimalism. And remember when The Matrix came out? And they had those really cool phones that like slid. And when you hung it up, you basically pushed it in like you were pushing into a magazine into a gun. That was really cool, right? I had a phone where you pressed a button and it flipped open. That was badass. Now all we have is just this like formless, you know, plastic molding injected, you know, bullshit. And the point I'm making here is not to rip on Apple, although that's a fun byproduct here because Apple's fun to pick on because the Apple watch is moronic and I see people like typing things into it and they look like Dick Tracy and I go, you're like Dick Tracy, but without the fashion panache, you know what I mean? Like you're not wearing a trench coat. You're not wearing a hat. You're just punching things into your watch. Like, Ooh, hey, look at this. And I, I made the watch face look like an old timey watch. You know what else has that? A fucking watch. Okay, like a regular old school watch. And your phone does everything else. So combining them into one object and making them both worse, I don't know why you would ever do that. I can't imagine a point in my life where I would actually want to wear an Apple Watch. But I'm being very circuitous here. This is why I edit the intros and outros. But that guy was having so much fun ripping on these Apple products and ripping on minimalism and how basically it's turning us into just sort of a, what's the word I'm looking for here? Just a, a, a blob, right? 
Just we're all the same and we're all marching towards death. And our design features have no flair anymore, especially with something like the iPhone. And God, I miss writing stuff like that. I really do. I loved blogging. I mean, Crew Jones Society, I wrote pretty much every day for like three years. And when you write that much, you get really good at it and really fast. Currently, excuse me, I'm pretty much writing every day, but it's for clients. You know, so it's very professional writing. It's very like in the voice of whoever they are and who they are is generally not sort of off kilter like that. You know, it's much more sort of corporate. It's more buttoned up. It's towards a purpose. It's towards like a business goal. And what that's done is it zapped me almost creatively because I write in this very particular voice and it's hard to find that old fun blogging voice that I have. So getting to do this episode is really good. So I'll just tell you, the biggest thing in my life is when this episode goes live, my second daughter, Sloan, will be two months old. And these two months have been really, really fun. They've been really good. I'm happy Kristen's not pregnant anymore because she seemed to be in a lot of discomfort with that. I know she's happy not to be pregnant anymore. You know, she is sleeping better. She can actually take a deep breath. She can drink. You know, these are all really good things. But the question I keep getting asked is, is it harder going from zero children to one, or is it harder going from one kid to two? And you'd be surprised how often this comes up, especially from other parents, because we're friends with a lot of parents who only have one. So they're all curious about it. You know, they may or may not be considering another kid and are looking to us to at least inform their decision in some form or fashion. Now, to whatever extent that plays into their decision-making, that's certainly up to them. And I wouldn't expect our word to be the one where they go, oh, you know what? John and Kristen had this experience, so yes, let's do it, or no, let's not. But the question is, is it harder going from zero to one or going from one to two? And unquestionably, it's harder going from zero to one. That is an absolute wholesale lifestyle change. You know, your entire being shifts when you have no kids to all of a sudden you have one and you have this very needy little thing that's about the size of a pot roast that requires so much labor and so much attention and so much psychic energy. I mean, you spend all of your time thinking about the health and safety and wellness of this tiny little being. Now, that's not to say you don't do that with the second one. You absolutely do. But you've been through it once before, so you kind of know what you're doing. I liken it to golf. You're not gripping the club so tight. You know, when you start playing golf or you start tensing up and, you know, you hit a few bad shots, you start gripping the club really tight. And you go, God, don't screw it up. And that wears you out even further. Once you relax and sort of grip it and rip it, then you're good. You're up and down the course. You're having a good time. That's kind of what it's like with the second kid. And I'll give you a for instance. With Grace, you know, she'd be asleep. She'd make one noise and I'd spring out of bed, you know, like some superhero. I'd just pop out of bed and I'd be like in her face looking at her like, like right up in her grill. Like, okay, is she all right? Is she breathing? Does she need something? Is she sad? Is, you know, does she need food? Does she need to be burped? And I'd just be freaked out over her, you know, because you don't know the, the noises and the rhythms of a baby. Now, with this second one, with Sloan, 
She is the noisiest sleeper. I swear to God. She's laying there in bed every night. Even like when she's napping during the day. And she just... And you're like, God, what are you doing over there? But I listen to that and I go, she's fine. She's just grunting. She's just making baby noises. She's... I don't know what the hell she's doing. But whatever it is, she's not in distress. You know? If she actually needs something or she's unhappy, she's going to make a different sound. How do I know that? Because I've already been through this once. So... Listen for the different sound, not the sort of everyday grunting. And, you know, you're you're fine. When you have two kids, your life doesn't change that much. There's just more of it, you know? There's just more to do. Like, you never run out of things to do. When you go from zero child, zero child? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's how we talk. When you go from zero children to one child, everything you do changes. Before I had Grace, I had never washed a bottle in my entire life. I had never changed a diaper. And, you know, you may think I'm weird or selfish or, you know, like I'm some dick, like sitcom father or something who's like, oh, babies, no. The the opportunity just never presented itself for me. Okay? I grew up an only child. My closest cousins in age. Above me, they're like seven years older. Below me... They're the closest one is 18 years younger than I am. So there wasn't, and they all live out of state. Like I didn't grow up around a big family or anything. So, I mean, when would I have had the opportunity to do this? I wouldn't. So the point I'm making is that when grace came along, everything about my life changed. You know, I had to install a car seat in my car. I, I was making formula all the time. I was up in the middle of the night. I was changing diapers. There was just so much going on that I'm like, wow, my life has really changed. It's really different. Now having, let's see, when Sloan was born, Grace was like 20 months old. Once she came along, I'm like, oh, okay, well, here's, <laughs> here's another baby that needs a lot of attention. I'm already kind of doing all of this anyway. I mean, granted, Grace kind of aged out of a lot of the stuff that I have to do for Sloan. And, you know, Grace is very mobile. She's running all over the place. She's kind of talking. She's silly. She's got a joke. Her joke is she'll put a pacifier in her mouth and then she'll grab like a fork full of food and then tap it on the pacifier. And she waits for us to ask her, how are you going to eat that with a pacifier in your mouth? How are you going to eat that? She laughs. She pulls the pacifier out and puts the food in. And we go, oh, that's how you do it. You got to take the pacifier out first. It's a great joke. Everyone laughs. This is the kind of shit that makes you laugh when you're a parent to a child under two. Okay? Those of you who have children will get it. Those of you who don't will go, man, you parents are fucked up. And you know what? You're both right. No one is interpreting this wrong. However you're interpreting it is the correct way. Because it's it's everything to everyone all the time already. I don't know. I may have lost my train of thought there, but when Sloan comes along, it's like, my life is already like this. So she comes along and it's like, okay, it's like this plus more of this, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, I was already watching TV and I, I was already watching cable. Now Netflix exists and now Netflix is producing really great television shows. So it's like, if you're a TV reviewer, you're still reviewing TV. You're just reviewing more TV. So, I mean, that's that's basically what it's like going from one child to two. Now, I say that 
with the caveat that both of my kids are really great sleepers and always have been. You know, there are parents, and I can point to examples, where one of their kids or maybe all of their kids are not good sleepers. And I imagine going from one child to two, if you don't have good sleepers, would be a nightmare. Would just be an absolute nightmare. The other thing is both our girls are really good. They're both really sweet. They're both happy. You know, they're not difficult. They don't just scream for no reason. They'll cry if something's wrong. But by and large, they're cool. They're mellow. They go along. They they do what we're doing. You know, we take them to a park probably every day, which I had forgotten just how much fun parks are. Parks are amazing. Parks are wonderful places. Today, I rediscovered the joy of taking a toy car and pushing it down a slide. When was the last time you did that? It's delightful. This little toy car goes super fast down the slide and launches off into the wood chips. And, you know, if you're not thinking about the Dukes of Hazard or, you know, Starsky and Hutch or a show that was actually on, you know, when we were alive, provided, I mean, I just turned 35 and I'm citing shows that I didn't even grow up watching, but you picture cars flying off of ramps and into shit, maybe those two come up for you. Or something that's more relevant, I don't know. Uh, your experience is your experience. But going to the park every day is awesome. Now, when we go in the afternoon, a lot of the time, you know, you try and get out of the house twice a day, because here's the other thing about parenting. It is basically an impossible pain in the ass to leave the house every day. Oh my, excuse me. But trying to get out of the house, you got to pack everything up. You have to basically pack a whole Mary Poppins bag with snacks and activities and changes of clothes and diapers and just babies come with a lot of gear. Packing all that up every day is annoying. Admittedly, it sucks. It's not fun. You're like, why do I have to carry this much gear? I used to leave the house with my wallet, keys, phone, and sunglasses. And I could just pop in the car and get out of here. Anytime I get to do that, man, that's like a vacation in itself. But understanding that, understanding that getting out of the house is an impossible pain in the ass is still somehow preferable than being home all day. And again, if you have kids, you understand this. If you stay home all day, you're basically signing yourself up to go insane and get everyone grumpy at each other. So you have to get out of the house. Now we go to a park and then maybe after that we go hit a brewery or something, you know, because you'll see other parents there and especially babies in car seats. Like that's one thing I th that I think is underappreciated when your baby's in a car seat, when they can't move, when they're not mobile, they're not crawling yet. Then they're certainly not walking. They basically don't do anything. So it's like, all right, are we going to stare at each other, you know, at the house or do you want to go do this over a pint somewhere, you know, where we can get a, uh, a tasty frosty craft brew. And that's frequently what we opt for. So I say that with the realization that when you have kids, I think people think your life is over, your life ends. And that is while not totally inaccurate it's imprecise. And I say it's imprecise because you still do what you want to do. You know, a lot of parents, I think, and this is, you'll hear criticism of kids nowadays all the time with these helicopter parents and, you know, they can't figure anything out for themselves. 
I think that's because parents like overcorrected from their generation where, you know, generation of latchkey kids, you know, going home, parents didn't know what they were doing. So it's like, ah, well, I guess I'll go home, watch TV, smoke pot. I, whatever. So now they're like, okay, I got to be with my kids. I got to show them love. I got to help them navigate this. I don't want them to be disappointed. I don't want them to get hurt. Blah, 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 blah. And you're creating these kids that can't think for themselves. I think what you're seeing with this current generation of parents and Please note that I'm totally talking out of my ass here doing the stream of consciousness show, which happens, you know, what, twice a year that this current generation is trying to find the midpoint between letting your kids have some autonomy and granted my kids are both under two. So there's not a lot of autonomy to be had at that point and, you know, showing them that you care and that you help them successfully navigate the world. You're trying to find the midpoint between those two things. And part of the way you do that is by retaining a piece of yourself. And one of the things that Kristen and I like to do is, you know, we like going around town and trying new craft beers. We like trying the breweries. We live in an incredible town where new breweries are opening all the time. I'll give a shout out right now. We went to Beerstadt Lager House in Rhino. They're doing only lagers. And God, they were amazing. They were fantastic. We went there when there wasn't a ton of people there. And Grace got up, walked around, checked it out. You know, we went up and down the stairs. It was great. I got to try. Uh, they have a Hellas. They have a Pilsner. They had an IPL. It, it was just delightful. But you need to retain a piece of yourself. There are parts of parenting that are just extraordinarily dehumanizing and very demoralizing. Where you're thinking, I am never going to escape this perpetual cycle of labor where I am just at the service, at the beck and call of these two very demanding little people who I love with all of my heart. It's just, it's never going to end. And I was thinking about this when you hear about unhappy parents or when you're out in the wild and you actually see unhappy parents because you see them, they're out there. They're not hard to find. Go to pretty much any big box store any day of the week and you'll see an unhappy parent. But it reminds me of when I was in college and you'd see people in unhappy relationships or people who are in unhappy marriages. It's because, and I say this as someone who was in an unhappy relationship before I met Kristen and it was unhappy not because I didn't love the other person, right? That's, you, you think it's like, I don't love this person. Okay, that may or may not be true. In my case, it's, it's not that I, that I didn't love her. It's that I didn't love myself. I didn't love who I'd become, right? And I think people, when they have kids with someone that they're not well-suited for, or they're in a marriage with someone that they don't mesh well with, it's that they're unhappy with who they are forced to be because make no mistake, parenting, marriage, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of labor involved. There's a lot of things to do. There's just an unholy amount of work to keep the gears turning. And if you have to go through all that labor and make no mistake, you do. If you have to change who you are to go through it, that is a recipe for just deep dissatisfaction, resentment, and unhappiness. And so I think about what we have here. And shit, now that I'm thinking about this, 
probably the biggest parallel I can draw is thinking about my professional life. And we've covered this at length on this show, so I'm not going to bore you with that. But as I think about who I was sitting at my desk in that office building, in that huge corporate environment, and the amount of tasks that I had to do under that persona, I was just feeling very, very inauthentic. I'm like, this is not me. This is not what I want to do. This is not who I aspire to be. It was a persona that I had to enact. And under that persona, doing labor just made me extraordinarily unhappy. So I think when you see people who are unhappy and what ends up happening is a shitty marriage or, you know, a shitty situation in parenting, you have someone who is not who they want to be, right? They are someone who that they never intended to be like that. And yet they are forced to and carry out all of the labors under that persona. And that breeds resentment. And that's what makes them unhappy. When I got married, people used to ask me, they're like, how do you like being married? I'm like, I love being married. Being married is tremendous. It's fantastic because we loved each other and we still love each other. And we liked each other and we still like each other. And that's really, really important. You know, the, the nature of the relationship, yeah, we were legal now. We were legally bonded. But, you know, nothing fundamentally changed. When we became parents, we added a person to our family. That is so cool. That is so admittedly fucking strange. You know, the fact that the two of you get together and you just make a person. It's like, here we go. Brand new person. This one's ours. What? And, it, you know, if you're not smoking pot by this point, that, that might be a good time to start. Just because I, I realize on its face just how stupid that statement is. But living through it, you're like, we're going to create a person. All right. That seemed to go pretty well. Let's create another person. What the fuck are you talking about? You're creating people? Okay. Um, that is a thing that happens and happens a lot. But as you do that... If you remain true to yourself, if you still like going to breweries, bring the kids to the brewery. Here's another thing. We don't listen to kiddie music in the car. That is an intentional choice on our part. We don't listen to any kiddie music in the car. We don't pander to our daughters. We don't condescend to them with this, you know, kids bop shit or, you know, I, I already have the theme song to Sophia the First stuck in my head every hour of every day that or little Einstein's or Mickey Mouse clubhouse or doc McStuffins, one of those songs, or God forbid, one of the songs from grace's toys, because, <laughs> and you'll find like this happens frequently with either grandparents or friends who don't have kids. They'll buy you toys that make sounds. And you're like, God, I hate these toys. I really do. Because I have to listen to them all day. And eventually it becomes background noise. But still, like, it's in your head. You'll just be driving around and one of those little melodies will pop in your head and you go, God damn it! And so you got to find something else to drown that out. So in the car, even with the girls in it, we listen to whatever we're going to listen to. And we listen to all sorts of stuff. I'm not proud of this. This is not, you know, my high watermark as a parent. And... Truthfully, although she's not on this show to defend herself, this is more on Kristen than it is me. But Grace's favorite song right now, 
<laughs> is SOB by Nathaniel Rateliff. Now, probably not a kid-friendly song. Okay, I accept that. That's fine. You know what else is not a kid-friendly song? Uh, anything by Rise Against that they've heard already in their lives. No use for a name. Face-to-face. Strung out. This is some pretty hard punk rock. Okay, I have a punk rock book that refers to these bands as melodic hardcore. These girls are going to grow up listening to that. They're going to grow up listening to Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, uh, you know, Rob Zombie, and then, you know, other normal mainstream stuff too. I love Kelly Clarkson. I put Vanessa Carlton on my last song mix. Adele, uh, Fits in the Tans, <laughs> Fits in the Tantrums. That's a really good one. Grace loves that song too because of all the clapping. I mean, little kids live to clap. Grace basically loves waving at people. She loves clapping her hands. And uh, let's see here. What else? Loves string cheese. I mean, those three things, if she had to rank things in her life, it would probably be those three in some order, depending on that particular moment. But again, that goes back to, and I think all any of us are really looking for is searching for our authentic selves. You know, it's, it's not easy to find that. And by getting out of my corporate gig and pushing for business on my own, I've done that. Years ago, seven years ago now at this point, I married Kristen. And I think Chuck Klosterman put it best when he said, in your life, you have two main preoccupations. One is getting your romantic life settled. And the other is your professional life. Those are the two main things. Those are your two big driving concerns. Yeah, there are things that probably fall underneath each of those. But those two are the central preoccupations. Once you get married... It's almost like you go, okay, well, half of my life is more or less solved, which isn't to say that you, that you should stop working at it. You, you should absolutely not stop working at your marriage ever. I mean, one of the things that Kristen and I work very hard on is always being polite to each other. That is important to us. And that helps maintain the proper tone in this house. If you say thank you a lot, if you say please, then you know, you're, you're showing respect for each other and you're showing value in that way. But half your life is sort of settled. You know, once you have kids and you decide how many kids you want to have and you get that, then, then that sort of major preoccupation goes away. It, it, you know, becomes filled with other things. But in terms of my professional life, now that I'm working for myself and I'm always worried about finding new clients... I mean, seriously, I, I fret about it every single day. You know, there's, there's a part of me that thinks, oh God, like I am going to, I am going to be out of business tomorrow and I'm going to die. And that's not been the case now in a year and a half. So we're doing okay. You keep the plates spinning. You're like the guy on the old Ed Sullivan show, which is a reference that I make a lot, um, which is crazy because I wasn't even born before the Ed Sullivan show was canceled. So whatever, you, you know what I'm referring to. You've seen the guy spinning the plates, but it feels more authentic. Now I'd probably argue on a labor basis, having two kids and a job where I work for myself, as well as this podcast, it's never been harder. Like literally I have never worked harder in my entire life than I do on any given day now. I mean, I go to bed exhausted, I wake up, 
everything on my body hurts. It feels like I play in the NFL. It's insane. But what's weird about it is the work is so much more rewarding than it ever has been. And I feel better about it. Why? Probably because I'm a more authentic version of myself. And while I think control is probably an illusion, it feels like I have more control. So that's great. That's a good thing. Additionally, contributing to my happiness, uh, believe it or not, is my sunroof. I was driving around with Grace one day, and she was being pissy in the backseat. I'm like, okay, what what do I do here? How do I change the the tone in the car here a little bit? And so just like <laughs> out of ideas, you know, out of anything better to do, I just opened the sunroof, and it slid open, and she like, she like gasped. She's like, <gasps> and pointed, and I go, yeah. And now we drive around with the sunroof open. If you have a sunroof, open it. Seriously, drive around like that. You will feel, I don't know, there's a scene in Election where after Matthew Broderick's character, Mr. McAllister, has sex with Linda Novotny, he's driving around and it's like he's in a convertible in the south of France. And it's a, it's a beautiful like director's moment where he stops the car, puts his foot down to step out, and he's back to reality. And he's you know wearing his terrible-looking down jacket, stepping out of his shitty hatchback car. And he's sort of back, you know, to his shitty life. When you have your sunroof open, you feel like that scene of him driving around the south of France. It's spectacular. It's delightful. So I just like to say thanks to my daughter for that. It's, it's terrific. All right. That, uh, that feels like enough. Is that enough? You guys good? All right. Let's play the outro music. This has been fun. I'm glad we got to do this. I'm glad I got to talk some things out. Hopefully you got something out of it. We'll be back next week with a real episode with an actual guest. Nope, not next week. Two weeks from now. In the meantime, check us out on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest. All of them at JLATPod. iTunes and Stitcher. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Four Degrees is our sponsor. The number four. D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Deaf Communications produces us. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Official episode previews go up every Monday. Every Monday we have a show anyway. And that's at J-O-A-T pod. How many plugs do I have left? Did I miss any? Is that it? Are we good? All right then. Well, thanks for letting me talk it out. Thanks for listening. And uh, until I see you two weeks from now, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.